Yeah, we can do that. So ultimately, that um, circle right there, yep. I started doing a pop-up uh, skills park for the kids. Oh, that's where you do it, okay. Yeah, and that's called a traffic garden. That's one of them. You mentioned it. <laughs> in my mind, because it is actually a thing called a traffic garden, where they put them in school. Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I am your host, James DePietro. This is a show from Pasadena, California, that explores the people and places that make our neighborhoods our home. On this episode, I am proud to welcome cyclist, community advocate, and Altadena Town Council member, Dorothy Wong. Dorothy was born and raised in Hawaii and came to California to study communications at LMU. While there, she worked at noted area radio station 88.9 KXLU because she wanted to be a DJ. After college, she embarked on a career in TV production, including time as an associate director of Mad TV. The demanding nature of the work was a perfect fit for her can-do personality. Dorothy, who also goes by Dot, is a legend in the cycling community. She is a racer, race and event organizer, nonprofit board member, and certified instructor. And we talked about how she discovered mountain biking and eventually cyclocross. One of the most fun, but also one of the most demanding disciplines that you have to race to fully understand. I've quote, raced end quote, on some of Dorothy's courses, and my legs will never be the same. During her cycling career, she scored a gold medal in the Mountain Biking World Masters Games and numerous top 20 finishes over 11 U.S. Elite National Cyclocross Championships, competing against some of the best women racers our country has ever known. In 2017, she ran for Altadena Town Council and won. Since then, she has continued to be a tireless voice in our community for safer streets for all users. So, without further delay, my conversation with Altadena Town Council member Dorothy Wong. Dorothy, welcome to the podcast. Hello, great to be here. So can you tell us where we are? Where we are today, we are sitting under an amazing, it's not even an oak tree. Is that an altar? Anyway, a beautiful mature tree here at the base of the San Gabriel Mountains in Altadena. To get us started, can you share about your background? Because I know you were born and raised in Hawaii before coming to Los Angeles for college. True, yes. I was definitely born and raised in Hawaii. And then I moved to Los Angeles. Can you believe that? <laughs> and I came to Los Angeles to go to school to actually get a degree in communications. And I wanted to actually be a DJ. I liked spinning the records. I did. I really liked kind of the technical side. Maybe was looking at maybe becoming a recording mixer. Who knows what? I ended up working in television production. So based on your career and advocacy work, you must have had some really strong influences. So who were some early mentors that were especially important to you and why? In advocacy, 
Wow. That's a really good question because there are so many over the years of advocacy. But I think one of the people that's been most influential to me, especially related to nature, my love of nature, and really understanding the importance of the ecosystem. So growing up in Hawaii, you were just immersed in it and you were really taught to respect the land and just so much of the indigenous Native Hawaiian culture is that was actually infused in schools because of the 1978 constitution, the Hawaiian constitution that got added in, that schools had to learn about the Hawaiian culture. Coming here to Los Angeles, my first views were these giant cement <laughs> highways that seemed to go in circles. I had never experienced that before. And so I really found peace being either in the ocean. So I took up surfing and found that connection with nature. And then moving to Altadena has just been a blessing, which is another long story. So my mentor that really grounded me in advocacy was Tim Brick. Do you know Tim Brick? I don't. So Tim Brick is the director of the Arroyo Seco Foundation. Okay. And he was actually on the board of directors for the Metropolitan Water District. And, uh, but at his heart and soul, he was an activist. And I didn't, I'm like, activist? No, I'm an advocate. <laughs> what is the difference between an activist and an advocate? I never really thought about it. But through his mentorship, I got to learn about the Metropolitan Water District, where our water comes from. And then the real love of the Arroyo Seco. So... My love of bicycling, that's the big long story, but the love of bicycling, I realized that when you bike, you're actually biking along the ocean on a beach path or these river channels here in Los Angeles where you can see birds and a lot of life. The river paths tell a lot of stories and the Arroyo Seco path actually was the first pilot project of channelization in LA. So Tim Brick has been a really great mentor on how to be persistent, how to community organize, making sure that you show up and speak what's important. So definitely him and then everyone can say it, but their mother and my father were both really great influencers for standing up for what I believe in. As a young gal, my father was proud that I played sports. <laughs> he came to my games. He took me out um, to dinner afterwards and gave me my accolades, but like a good Chinese father told me that I needed to work on things. So hard work was really infused by both of my parents. Mm. And so I would say those are my main advocates, and I've just met so many. Along the way? Yes, every day. Every day. <laughs> so we were talking about this before we started recording that you have a, a long career in TV and film production, and but you want to be a DJ. So how did you go from being a DJ to film production? Now I freelance. I actually do a lot of things based on my production. So I basically, I transitioned when I loved doing the KXLU radio station. But when it came down to it, I really was thinking about getting into recording arts. Hmm. And then it was taking the class about, it was really technical, like uh, sound waves and <laughs> things like that. And so part of me got intimidated. I'm not that engineer-minded. I'm really just, 
I like to be outside because I did ride a bike and was very active in my youth. So television production was another major you could take. And that required you to hold cameras, climb ladders, <laughs> be outside and active. And so I was really drawn to that. And it was also team. Like when you're working on a production, you work as a team. And so I really enjoyed that concept. Production, multi-camera television is ironically enough what I fell into for my many years, I 20 years in Hollywood, doing a lot of live TV and having to just shift with whatever is happening <laughs> in front of you. The show must go on, changing the show minutes before it starts and trying to let everyone know what's happening. So I think, and then that television production teamwork, everybody has each other's back. CYA <laughs> is still everyone's back to just make sure that the production happens. So that background really shaped my future now, which is a long story, but my work now is a lot of freelancing work that's community-based that really empowers others to help be the team to make the change shifting gears a little bit yeah pun intended i guess somewhat let's talk about your career in cycling okay so you mentioned that you've always been athletic you always played sports you surfed in hawaii so how did you get into cycling okay so every child like what was your first bike james <laughs> that's a good question so it was a bmx bike and i learned to ride it at my grandmother's house yeah and how did it make you feel it was great. So as a kid, as a young kid, a bike was freedom, right? Yes. So we would go to comic book stores on our bikes and go to Griffith Park on our bikes. And when the car came around, it changed a little bit. But the bike was the first introduction to independence and freedom. So I don't know if that's a similar story to yeah, your experience. Definitely. Yeah. So as a kid, I also had my BMX bike. First, I had the Schwinn with the streamers, but I quickly forgot about that one. <laughs> and the BMX bike I bought myself because I actually started working when I was 12 years old. And I just worked nonstop from age 12 to 25 now. <laughs> so hard work, again, was just in the family. And I bought my first mongoose bike and I never forgot the love of that. And then I did come to college here, Loyola Marymount University, and I didn't have a car. I drove my family car when I was in high school. I had forgotten about the bicycle. <laughs> it's, yeah. And then how do I move around Los Angeles? Amazingly enough, I used a bicycle to get to work because I worked also through college. In fact, I got a scholarship for my last two years of college because I worked full-time and went to college full-time. So somewhere in there, I bought a car and I just left the bicycle itself. And then I got into television and one of the cameramen said, Dorothy, you would love mountain biking. You've got to check it out. I'm like, what is mountain biking? I had never heard of that before. And then he handed me the little pamphlet for Team Big Bear and I went to watch a mountain bike race. What is that? And I, it was like a rainy day. 
<laughs> and the riders were coming out of the mountains and then they were doing these little turns and they were full of mud and they looked like so much pain in their face, but they were working so hard. And I'm like, oh my God, I want to do that. <laughs> For whatever reason, it just looked fun. So I ended up buying my first mountain bike from Montrose Bike Shop. Which and is still there. It's still there. And, and yes, and Montrose became part of my family, friends and everything. And, uh, and so ultimately, that led me into, I knew I wanted to race because it was in my blood of being a competitive athlete early on. And my, again, my father and my mother, but especially my dad, got me thinking about that. So ultimately... I started mountain bike racing, and my first race was actually all women's mountain bike clinic led by pro mountain bike women who were trying to spread getting more women riding bicycles and racing. And there were 300 of us, like 300 women riding bicycles. What is this? And I went out there, and we had age category, little four-year increments, and I went out there and I experienced a mountain bike race for the first time. And when I finished, it was like this weird euphoria. I just dropped the bike on the ground and I went, yeah. <laughs> and that was my passion. And I just went into it full force. I joined a group called the Over the Bars Mountain Bike Club. And it was, it was an open, inclusive club, but it was really mostly guys. And I went and said, hey, I'm here to start the beginner group. Where's the beginner group? And they looked at me like, who's this? And they're like, oh, they're over there or something. So anyway, they left me in the dust and they went up the Verdugo Mountains, but I didn't give up. I probably turned around and then I ended up just working really hard and just riding and I went back again. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there I was towards the front of the group. And they're like, who is she? So I ended up racing my first year mountain bike racing with Over the Bars, OTB, Mountain Bike Club. And the rest is history. I just worked hard, hard, hard and made my way up to qualifying to get a pro license or an elite mountain bike license. So then I raced in the group of riders who included Olympians. But there I was at the back of the group <laughs> or whatever, sometimes in the middle. But those are the best racers in the United States and some in the world. So it was really amazing to do that because it did bring me confidence. I met so many people that are my friends for life, and including my husband. <laughs> and so it became a life. But because I had that background, oh, and then back to Montrose Bike Shop. So Montrose Bike Shop, also Jonathan Livesay. Do you know Jonathan? I know the name. Yeah, he's the owner now. He was the manager at the time, but he said, oh, you would love cyclocross. So again, people infusing me with ideas. And I'm like, cyclocross? What is that? So I ended up buying a used bike from him, and it was a red line. And I went out there and tried cyclocross, and it was like, wow, <laughs> what is this? So I started racing cyclocross. It uh, turns out I was pretty good at it because I also raced road and mountain biking, and then cyclocross was just... I don't know. It was pushing really hard, but having to react to everything. Again, the background that I have from Hollywood and trying to stay upright on your bicycle, not slipping around. And if you fall in the mud or the grass or the sand, so it's usually not life-threatening. 
less. It's actually one of the safer bicycle racing sports you can do. And then it was just natural for me to volunteer to help the promoter who was putting on the race. Also did some clinics. And then it's like, why don't we put on our own races? So we ended up putting on a race at Verdugo Park in Glendale that lasted for 15 years. I I raced that back in the day. Yes. And then saying, let's do the national championships of cyclocross. So I had that dream. But anyway, we ended up doing internationally sanctioned. They're called UCI races. The light rail had just started. It was called the gold line at the time. I think it's going to be the A line on June 16th, the regional connector which will go from, anyway, so on and on. So the short story, if I can make it short, is bicycling just took over my life. I started putting on bicycle races. It was really natural from the production side I had in Hollywood. And yeah, that was that phase of my life. So racing for 10 years. And I did manage to get a few national medals in cyclocross. You're being very modest because <laughs> you won a gold medal in mountain biking at the World Masters Games in, yes. in 2005. Always then... get married before you a big competition because I got married. Jeff and I got married. Yeah. And our honeymoon was the World Games. It's a good so luck. I was totally relaxed. It's a good honeymoon. <laughs> yes. Anyway. And, you, and then you raced 11 U.S. Elite Women's National Championships and were top 20 several times, which is an incredible achievement. Thank you, know, you. And you raced against Katie Compton, Allison Dunlap. These are just like the titans in U.S. cyclocross and women's. And so to be competitive in those fields is incredible. And it, yeah. for someone that doesn't know cyclocross, having raced a couple different, I've raced mountain bikes and I've done cyclocross and I've done crit racing. Cyclocross is by far the hardest. I don't know. It might be easy for you, but it was the hardest for me. Because there's no break. Yeah. You could, if you want to just enjoy yourself. That's true. Which you can just ride around. Someone might you a donut. Probably or... would, someone would probably argue with that. That's what I was doing when I was racing. But but no, it is the hardest discipline. Because you're when, when you dismount and you're running, it's a whole other set of muscles. When you get back on, your adrenaline, adrenaline is so high. Like you're fumbling through your pedals. It's, it's, it's so hard. I am in awe of people oh. that are really good at cyclocross. Yeah, thank you. And it's great to have seen it grown so much. And it's Mm -hmm. even great because now, this is 2023, we had a little COVID dip in putting on events. But I think this year will be 19 19 years of continuing to host cyclocross, but also evolve it. But yeah, cyclocross is, I think, also kept me safe in all of the bicycling that I do because I've learned instinctually it when you do it long enough it becomes instinctual to just get off your bike without thinking (laughs) your body just reacts to it so i I use my you carry your bike in cyclocross so when i use the metro system i love just putting the bike over my shoulder and running up the stairs (laughs) using my other arm to carry me up the hill yeah up the stairs how do you think that cycling is doing in America? You mentioned there's a dip in the last couple of years because of events, but how do you think as an overall more cyclists on the road, you see less cyclists on the road, and like, how does that impact Pasadena, Altadena, et cetera? Yeah, that's a really great question because when I lived in Burbank, I felt like I was the only one sometimes riding my bike, and then I moved here to Altadena, and sometimes I would go out and mountain bike, and I, a lot of times, and see nobody 
And then, then the cycling scene really grew in L.A. in general. It really started to grow as more infrastructure and cities, really more advocacy for the bicycle did really grow. And then the next step was to take up mountain biking. So here in Altadena, mountain biking is <laughs> probably some of the best mountain biking in Southern California, maybe even in the United States. But people come from everywhere now. And the... Uh, during COVID, then more people took up biking and hiking and loving nature. And, and that's really relevant now, too, on many levels for health, all levels of health, mental health, too. And bicycling is community. <laughs> so there has been a huge boom of people riding bicycles for fun and for transportation. I think the metro system even though people complain about it, is going to be and has been transformational. So when I get on the train now, I have to compete for space. Oh, there's a bike there. There's another bike. Which car am I going to get in? So now I have a folding bike. So I don't have to worry about that. And I think it's really important that more people are using the bicycle because the more voices... So again, advocacy... The more voices of people that participate in saying that I need safer places to bicycle, I would love to access bicycling places. So e-bikes have been transformational again. So it's like just a boom in more people biking with more bicycling infrastructure, a more metro work. I started teaching bicycling safety education because I got certified. I didn't know why. I went to Washington, D.C. Well, there was a nice guy named Gil in Glendora who was a certified league instructor called an LCI. I'm like, what is an LCI? <laughs> so then I started learning about it, and it's really, you know, it's bicycle safety instruction. So I went through the classes, the smart cycling classes, Traffic Skills 101, and then from there I applied to go to the LCI certification class, which I took in DC. And then the National Bike Summit was happening right after that. And they added in, it was really great, this gal, Carolyn Strapansky, I think was her name, who organized with the League of American Bicyclists, the Women's Bike Summit. So again, advocacy in my soul, representation. <laughs> I ended up getting certified and then I came back to Los Angeles and I posted on social media that I was a certified instructor and then Metro called I guess it's called an RFP for a half million dollars to start a bicycling education pilot so that people could use transit otherwise how do you get to the light rail so it's called first mile last mile thinking about how we can make it safer for people to get to the train station without driving a car to have to find another parking space. <laughs> and uh, then, I don't know if you were going to ask me that question, but now I have gone from bicycle racer to bicycling advocate, really, and then bicycling instructor. <laughs> and now I've infused some of the cyclocross. So we do this Thing called kitty cross which is the intermission race where the kids have their own little mini course and I really started thinking why don't we where can people bike safely 
parks, <laughs> right? But we don't have any bike parks here. Why? There's so much space here in Altadena. Can we fit in a little bike park for the families? So I'm always thinking like that. And so I started doing something called the Kitty Cross or Pop-Up Bike Park. And a lot of it was inspired because I also work with a group called Walk and Rollers, which started out as a project of the LA County Bicycle Coalition. And Bicycle Coalition is now called Bike LA. But Walk and Rollers is now standing on their own two feet and are just doing great things. So I'm a proud part-time employee of walk-in rollers and nothing is more powerful, I have to say, than teaching. Teaching and empowering people by bicycle and having the youth, they want nothing more than to ride a bicycle. It excites them. Yesterday, two days ago at the farmer's market, we had a young girl who was watching we had a traffic garden at the farmer's market where we do, I do a little bike skills course there just to also help people be more aware of bicycling and getting us more connected in Altadena so we can speak about bicycling safety and the bicycle master plan that is being updated now for the first time in 12 slash 15 years, wherever you want to look at it. And we really have a huge opportunity to see how we can move people around safely Maybe even think about things like a complete street policy for unincorporated Los Angeles County. I don't know if that exists in any real way, because a lot of times we're just chasing our tail for safer streets. And we really do have to infuse bicycling safety, equestrian safety, pedestrian safety by really looking at our streets. So that was a long story as usual. But I have really been inspired, even through cyclocross, we have a junior team. It actually started as a women's team. We started a team that actually was inspired by Cycle, Cyclists Inciting Change Through Live Exchange, okay. who actually helped start up the Bike Week Pasadena. Oh, really? So they were hired by the city, Cycle. And I'm like, look at those crazy ladies. They're running around making things happen. And they did so many great things. And so I'm really thankful for Cycle, which now has really inspired also. I know Vice Mayor Felicia Williams was also really active in, in active streets, active mobility. And, and then Pasadena Complete Streets has done a really great work. Active SGV, yes. which, by the way, when early on that RFP for the pilot project I was actually hired by Active SGV, which was called Bike SGV at the time, to lead the education classes in the San Gabriel Valley. And then bringing in their up-and-coming LCIs to gain experience. So I feel like now I'm like this mama or <laughs> of so many things that somewhere along the line, I feel a sense of pride to see organizations grow because I was able to provide my experience and maybe my crazy passion, <laughs> which it does make me tear up because it's really important that we, I see the value of bicycling for, for our health, like our full health. Physical health is really icing on the cake. It's more the sense of, community and empowerment 
that we feel from being able to feel confidence. Right. So there I am out there racing with Allison Dunlap and all of those people. And I'm like, I do I really belong here? I didn't. So maybe if I had an ounce or two of more confidence, instead of finishing 20, maybe I would have finished 10th <laughs> or 5th. But at the end of the day, there's so many benefits to bicycling. And sometimes I'm overly passionate about it. And to be a good leader, sometimes you have to feel it but others do the speaking <laughs> and but at the same time I think we're stronger together the more we can collaborate and share each other's strengths that would be really awesome I think that's a perfect transition to talking about the Altadena Town Council and in 2017, you decided to run and were elected to the town council. And the town council, because Altadena is very interesting because it's an unincorporated part of Los Angeles County. So it's run by the Board of Supervisors, technically. Altadena is not its own city. So you have your, the LA County Sheriff's Department as your, your police force, et cetera, et cetera. And so the council acts as like a public advocate for the area. So why did you decide to get involved with the town council? I decided to get involved with the town council when I was fortunate enough, again, in the circle of life connections, back to Active SGV and my relationship with helping them out. I got a call saying, hey, hey, Dorothy, we need, can you help us get people to sign for the San Gabriel Mountains becoming a national monument? I'm like, what does that mean? What is a national monument? What does that mean? And then the first thing as a bicyclist, are you going to take away access to trails? Are you going to take away? And when you really learn about it, it's actually the opposite. It actually provides access. It actually provides education. It also provides resources and protects resources. So <laughs> I joined the leadership program for, it was called San Gabriel Mountains Forever at the time, and now it's called Nature for All Coalition. And that was so empowering because you learned from different people. Everybody was accepting of each other. There wasn't measuring. <laughs> it was just really open. And I was one of the older participants in the academy. So we had a very diverse group from high school age kids to me and my Maybe I was, I don't know if I, I was 50 plus at the time, <laughs> but it was really cool because now you're learning and listening and everyone's sharing from all these different backgrounds. And that was really powerful. And then I was privileged enough to be able to go to Washington, D.C. and then advocate for open space. <laughs> And that was really empowering. And then also I'm on the board of the California Bicycle Coalition, which again came from just advocacy history and just being out there. And then we lobbied for safer bicycling. And so I was really excited to see that. I was really empowered by that journey, like telling the personal story, telling the story of your community and why it's important to the leaders at those levels at state and federal so I said, I might as well try and see what it's like to just run. 
I was like not even I'm going to be the president of the United States. Nothing like that. It was just I wanted to feel what it was like to run and go through the motions. And then all of a sudden, again, my bicycling advocacy friends, we were at Walk and Rollers and we were eating lunch. And that's another advocate friend of mine. I don't know if I should say their name out loud, but his name is Charlie Gandhi. And Charlie Gandhi is another amazing advocate superhero. And Charlie was the coordinator for the city of Long Beach Mm. for bicycling because Long Beach, Mark Bixby, who, by the way, they just, he had a vision of bicycling safety and more bicycling in Long Beach. So really to create a goal, a vision for the city of Long Beach to become the number one bicycling city in America. So he just said to me, I told him, Charlie, I just ran, I just applied to run for the town council. And he's, I said, but I don't care if I, deep down inside, I probably did want to get elected. You are competitive. We've already established that a little bit in this conversation. But Charlie said, why don't you just ask the person you're running against if they want to even run again? This is like a story. Okay. And then I'm like, okay, I'll ask him. And then I didn't ask him because I'm like, oh, that's going to feel awkward. Hello. (laughs) Um, But then we ended up both speaking our statements at the at the town council meeting and at the end I went up to him and I said I was shaking his hand and basically he I said I'm here for you I said I don't expect to win and I'm here to help you in any way and he didn't let go of my hand (laughs) he kept shaking my hand and then so meanwhile people knew me from advocacy world and bicycling because I did stand up in front of the mayor of Los Angeles Mm. telling him how important it was for families to have safe place for their children to ride bicycles and actually circling back to that story that's how we got cyclocross at Griffith Park really because I stood up at the microphone (laughs) to the mayor of Los Angeles and I started Gar- talking was it about at the time, right? No, it was Antonio uh, Antonio oh, Villaraigosa. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And he had been empowered by the Ciclovias, oh, right. and he had come back to ride his bicycle, and he got hit by a taxi and broke his elbow. I remember and that. And then he proclaimed, I want to say it was 200 miles, a goal of installing bike safety in in Los Angeles. And so then that was the thread and the great connections in the cyclocross community. One of one of whom was the deputy for the mayor's for oh, the mayor, and that person is also now a council member. Oh, really? <laughs> where he lives, but ultimately, bicycling was really the key to the advocacy that led to then the running of the town council. And after I shook his hand, he bowed out of the race, and he was almost like, "I'm passing the torch to you now." So he said, you seem like a very nice person, and I'm sure you're going to do great things. (laughs) So that's how that happened. I really then went into just a journey of learning how the county works. As you've described, it's not... It's unusual. How hard is it to work as a council underneath the Board of Supervisors? (laughs) Scrunch face, so that's what I'm reacting to. Well, I think it's, again, it comes down to how well you lead by really listening and understanding how 
and what your community wants or needs. And then being able to help tell that story. Needed, they can't stay in the heat, so they had to go to hotels. And the bears were coming out, so you couldn't leave your windows open. <laughs> so telling those stories really helps the county understand what the community needs. And right. so we're supposed to be Obuds people. And I think that's the gift of community organizing. So Altadena can be really good at organizing itself when it wants to about certain issues. And and that's great. And I hope that we can really look at our long-term health in this community related to the effects of climate change, just mental health, like our farmer's market is a key hub for our community to get together, to talk to each other. We're often, we might not have that because we don't have, we have growing little business areas now, but even our newer residents, how our newer residents might not have the same perception as our, as our longtime residents here who have endured different things. And then, so I said during Asian American, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Month, that our diversity is our strength. And as an unincorporated community, it's really important that we look out for each other and hopefully not complain. <laughs> complain is vocal. But what action can we take? And sometimes they're like, oh, no, Dorothy's going to put in those bike lanes. No. Somebody posted, I'll just say it this way. Somebody just posted, the bicyclists need to be off the road because they're dangerous. And then my advocacy heart side, when I see the little children that I empower them with bicycles and all they want to do now is ride their bicycle and there's nowhere safe for them to ride, we need that sort of complete street policy or taking action. And because we have 118 miles of roadway over 8.4 square miles, <laughs> prioritizing what happens within an unincorporated area can be really difficult. So the bicycle mm. master plan is a good opportunity and just more ways for us. It's because it's not just about bicycling. If you make the streets safer for bicycling, you make the street safer for someone trying to pull out of their driveway. You make the street safer for walking. <laughs> if we create these corridors that can connect us to places that we go, and then really understanding what types of funding that can help us, like safe routes to schools, funding <laughs> that we often fall short on because of the number of unincorporated areas. And we're not, like I'm teaching now, I'm blessed to be a bike educator. So ironically enough, I'm teaching for Bike LA in, in the Florence Firestone slash Huntington Park area. And it's really empowering to me to work with communities. And again, this one, we were a little short on signups for the very first class. So we went and we got the families that were at baseball practice to come and learn. And we ended up having three families and a dad who just happened to be walking by. And he's, okay, when's the next class? And then I'm going to bring my son. So like bicycling is really community. And, and that's 
what I believe in my soul, but I hope that everyone, and I see it when people ride a bike. So I know it's growing <laughs> and we just have to keep focusing on our community's health because at the end of the day, that's the most important. And when we look out for our most vulnerable road users, that's very much a advocacy word, but that's the truth. We did have two of our residents, our neighbors, killed last year, pedestrians, trying to cross the street. And then the pedestrian gets blamed. But then we got to stop blaming and we have to look at the issues. And it's not just a crosswalk. <laughs> there are a lot of layers. Balance, I wanted to say, at the end of the day, how we balance our systems sounds like oh, you're just an environmentalist. But it's really the truth. Like, bicycling is about balance. It is. <laughs> when the kid balance... Fundamentally. Yeah. When someone who's new to biking feels that sense of balance for the first time, there's just this euphoria. So It's the same euphoria that you had when you finished your first mountain bike race. And the first one when you rode your bike? Yeah, to the convict store. Yes. Yeah, so... Altadena, like you've touched on it a little bit, but mm -hmm. Altadena is such a unique community because it's at the base of the mountains. It's a hilly area. E-bikes have been probably really good for Altadena because mm -hmm. people now can climb up the hills. You can go, you can ride up Lake or another or Lincoln or someplace. There's not really a central like commercial corridor. You have a couple streets that have like businesses, but you don't have a main street. You mentioned the farmers market. There are not that many grocery stores in Altadena, which is it's kind of like a food desert in a way. So what are the, what do you think are the, like the biggest challenges that Altadena is facing? And I say that knowing that there's obviously policing issues that have happened in the last year or two. We talked about this a little bit, but when we were walking up here, that uh, Nuccio's, which is a well-known, why am I blanking on the word? Chameleon. It's a nursery. It's a nursery. Thank you. Because I've gotten my camellias there for my house. And they're closing, they're, I guess they're retiring or something. Mm -hmm. And now Polytechnic has purchased the land, or I don't know if they've purchased it already. You <laughs> smile on your face. Oh, it's in escrow it's currently. In escrow. And the plan is to build a sports facility for Polytechnic. And then as I was driving up, I passed the mural on the wall mm -hmm. at Unincorporated Coffee, which that's a whole other topic in itself. So what do you think of the, some of the big challenges? And then how does the town council address those challenges? I know that's a huge question, but just to get your thoughts on some of the, like, the bigger things that are happening. When I moved from Burbank and I met my husband who born and raised in Altadena and he's, we should just move to Altadena. <laughs> and I'm like, we need to save money. At the time, the prices were going up, but they're nowhere near the price they're at now. And what I loved most about Altadena was talking to the residents who like to talk. So I think when, <laughs> I don't know if other cities, I didn't experience this in Burbank, but the experience of conversation that goes on in Altadena, when you talk to somebody, you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so our gift is our love of Altadena. Our difficulty is in not knowing what's going on. And also frameworked as complaint-driven doesn't help us think about our sustainability in a way that can help us with projects. So our community, we have a CSD that 
pertains to county ordinances that are specific to Altadena. So we have an Altadena Community Standards District. So we can look at that planning document. But planning documents also are looking at our community vision. So I think it was 1986, something like that. And you can see it was copied off a scanner <laughs> at the time. It's got the markings all around the paper. And it now more than ever is the time for us to vision Altadena. So to me, that would be a great tool for our community to have those dream conversations because we have changed so much during COVID for the sake of COVID. And again, the housing prices has also changed our demographics a lot. So we have more younger families. We have people trying to afford living in a house, more multi-home users, which also works with our, how does that work with our longtime residents? So I'm a 20-year resident myself now. So I'm in that mid-pack of the aging 50-plusers here, which I think is actually our highest population is my age group. So makes sense. But then we also, like one in six of our residents here may be in that senior age group. Anyway, I get data thrown at me all the time now because then you learn that data means everything. <laughs> and in Altadena, our data is complaints. So if we can get past that, and it's not ignoring the complaints. It's no. like, why is that person complaining? What is the issue? And then community conversations are definitely the way. So the town council can hold informational meetings. So the bicycle master plan, we have different committees there's a communications committee. We have a traffic safety and mobility committee. We have a land use committee. We have an education committee. And a lot of these committees have been started by the council members because they see its importance. Or we have like just a standing committee. What do you call it? Just a shorter okay. ad hoc to work on filming issues, for okay. example. So there can be... So that's some of the potential of our town council is involving the community in being the change, and then talking. We need to talk more about the different issues ahead of us. And that's where I think uh, the power of community organizing is really our strength to see the change we want to see or no, no change if we don't like it. But I can see how the mural, for example, was a case of what I feel anyway is just how the community wasn't involved when the mural went up. And even though there were community members that chose the piece of art, the community didn't feel included. And the actual depiction was very hurtful, is very hurtful to a lot of our community. And that's why lack of planning, like there's so much creative art funding out there right now. We have 50 or 60 bus stops that could be beautified in a way that's representative maybe art, ideally art done by the community, for the community, can be uplifting. Even I look at utility boxes here, and I'm like, man, we have so many utility boxes. <laughs> what can we do to make that? Because art should make us think, so it did make us think. But in a time now where so many of us are still hurting, that maybe art that really helps us. So in a way, it did make us think and bring things up that maybe wasn't voiced before. So maybe that's can be a positive out of it. And also people speaking up to understand. So I think the community's voice 
is so important. And at the council meetings, when people come and speak, that's the best time in the meeting. <laughs> it really is. And probably other people say that too. But you hear how people feel. And so when we lost our two pedestrian lives, I couldn't help but cry because I feel so deeply about things, which is my gift and my demise. <laughs> but uh, like I hear the bird and I see the hawk and I see bees and the different variety of bees as I've learned through Nature for All and going through the California Naturalist Program and trying to save some of the trees in Hahamungna watershed. <laughs> How important really an ecosystem and climate change is about balance. So it sounds corny, but that damn bicycle <laughs> changed my life because when you slow down, when you're not behind the wheel of a car, you feel the land. When you take transit, people who are hurting right. and people turn a blind eye to that. And I really, one of my favorite crazy jobs, I can't believe I did it, was during COVID. I wanted just on the bucket list to get to know Altadenans better. So I was going to, I signed up to work the U.S. Census, not knowing that we were going to go through COVID. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that'll be fun. And I get a little pay for doing it too. It ended up, we're in the heat of COVID with no vaccine in sight. And I'm knocking on people's doors in unventilated apartments. And some, I just heard it again today, but I became this soldier. It's almost like climbing that hill <laughs> that I was going to do my very best to count every single person and why it was important through my government experience on hearing and representing people's voices. <laughs> so I ended up counting Kern County because two weeks we were done with Altadena. We're done. You're done. We need you to travel. You need to go to Las Vegas. We need people. So I spent 10 days in Bakersfield, Kern County, and going somewhere that was totally unfamiliar. Then I was in mid-Wilshire, L.A., downtown L.A. I did 10 days in Bakersfield, and then I had a really good supervisor. So I just followed my supervisor back to L.A., and we became the team. We were the team that solved why people weren't getting counted. It was amazing, the skills. But again, it's that reaction, that skills that I had from working in television and bicycling, that you just have to be able to react to things, that I was able to count so many people. The last day I counted 15 people living in a garage and a back shed. Hmm. And you know what? They were happy and modest. They gave me their information. I said, thank you very much. And you know what? They had family. They had connection. People who slammed their door in my face were people that were, I don't have time for you, slam. And those were people, maybe they're hardworking, right. but they either were by themselves or they, or I'm just, it was sad when I heard people say, I'm just white because... That was almost sad. Right. <laughs> and listening to people tell me what their ethnicity was, all that was happening during Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, Stop Asian Hate. And then, so there I was in the midst of <laughs> all of these places while all of this was going on. And it was just an amazing journey. But at the end of the day, the thousands of people, because I counted, I 
I work seven days a week because, you know, overtime, <laughs> hundred and whatever degrees, the phone was melting, but I was going to finish that job because of whatever crazy madness I had. Nothing was too uncomfortable. Oh, the bobcat fire was going on. <laughs> to add on, on to like, everything else going on. You guys don't have to work today. And I'm like, I'm out there. But so those things really, I just want to finish by saying the core of it still is we have humanity and the goodness of people in all of those. I felt the goodness of people, even on the train, when people are having hard times, whatever it is, you can have people just want to talk to somebody. And <laughs> my last little story was I'm on the train and I'm going to Long Beach to help celebrate the opening of the bikeway pedestrian bridge over the port of Long Beach and go to the electric expo because I love learning. And I just, and then they, Long Beach had their open street, Beach Street event. And it was also their pride festival. So there was so much culture and happiness <laughs> that was going on. But leading into it, I was on the train and I, one guy said, are you going to the Beach Street event? He just knew. And so people talked to you on the train. And then I'm talking, yeah. And then the gentleman in front of me started talking to me about cocaine and drugs and things. And I started talking to him. And it, we left each other talking about getting government food to help. And he started talking about government cheese. That <laughs> So it sounds crazy, but it was like we had a real conversation. And then the gal next door talked. She chimed in on the conversation in the other seat about how much she loved cheese because I was talking about. How <laughs> so it doesn't matter what you talk about. It's really about making the connection with people and then having them say, have a nice day thank you. And those are things that can be missing when we're looking at ordinances or who's taking the property away. But it's listening. Yeah. So I think that's one of the key things that everyone always says. And I love talking too much. So I need to listen more because I feel like I love talking. <laughs> Again, remember, I started as a DJ. That's You're true. listening to KXLU. We just hit an hour and a half, hour and five minutes. So that's, but that's. <laughs> you can edit it. To no, this. no, I'm not going to edit it, a lot oh. of it. And because we've hit an hour, so I'm going to start yeah. wrapping up our conversation. Yeah. But thank you for doing the census work. And the most beneficial jobs I've, I've had have been when I can talk to somebody, hear what they're going through, and then help them in some way. And it's yeah. a small way. And this is. Bring it, this is going to be a very bicycle-heavy conversation. This is the nature of it. But I work, for, I work for three bike shops in my 20s. And the problem I have now that I'm in my 40s is that I've, I go into this is a knock-on in-cycle, but like I go to bike shops now, and it's like I can't relate to them because they're all like how I was when I was working at bike shops. Yeah. It's all young 20-year-olds. But working at bike shops, you know, you'd see all kinds of people, and you'd see people that we're buying like a $5,000 bike, but then you also see the person that's their tire blue and they need to get to work and they work at a restaurant, busing tables and spending the couple minutes just talking is so powerful. Both, hopefully it's the person that you're talking to gets something out of it, but it gets, yeah. you get so, so much out of it. Exactly. And I think that's probably why I started this, this podcast is and I did it during COVID. So no one was talking to each other except for you who are going door to door. But having those conversations and making that connection is so powerful. And an aside about the census stuff, a real interest in history. 
And I'll routinely go back in like census records and looking at old census records, you understand what the community is going through. You understand that there's, oh, there's a family of six people in one house and they have two lodgers and the house is probably super small. Yeah. And you see the ethnicity breakdown in the community yeah. and see what that's going through. And I appreciate you doing that work just from like a planning standpoint and like a funding standpoint and the congressional representation standpoint mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff, but also just like understanding who we are mm -hmm. and where we live. So as we tie up our conversation, there's no time limit or term limits to serving on a council. Is that correct? No. So, oh, there's no term limits. That is true. So your term ends in June or July. So are This year it ends this year. So are you planning on running again? You asked hard questions. So I did two years, and I'm like, what did I do in the first two years? That was all learning. Oh, two more. I'm going to do two more. So then I did the next two. And then and then COVID, we made some really cool progress because right. then 2018, so 2017, I got on the council. And then in 2018, we started the Safe Streets Committee. And then it just, bam, we did a, we got a little community support grant from Office of Traffic Safety through Berkeley Safe Trek. And that, that then grew where we did a, we ended up working with day one and also the library. We did a pop-up park. We got a Go Human grant, which is the Southern California Council of Governments. And we did a pop-up bike park at the Bob Lucas Library. We brought in a water capture, a land, native landscape organization. And then now the Bob Lucas Library is a native landscape. Mm. We were able to celebrate with Jackson Elementary some safety measures around the school. And it just, I'm like, okay, we got to do more. COVID hit and we did have a protected pedestrian expanded walkway put in here at Loma Alta Park to make us address some of the traffic safety issues. Mm -hmm. And now we put a report together. So I'm like, and then the bike master plan is coming to fruition. So I would say stay tuned. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> because I've done two, two, two. I'd love to share the load and you never know. I helped empower a lot of people or yeah. people are like, Dorothy hasn't done enough. But I have, I feel a calling. That's all I can say. But I don't have a strategic calling. It's just in my heart. So I would say if I were to do one more and I were to be elected again by the great citizens or residents, shall I say, of Altadena and Census Track 460301, the, these two would definitely be my last two years. Okay. Because, but I love... It's not because I don't love it. I love it a lot. I love trying to help the community because that's in my soul. But if I can't, if I'm not being effective and I have this sense of what's next in my soul, then I'm happy that someone else. So I will make that decision soon because I think the election is in November. So I would have to, it's coming right around the corner. Stuff, yeah. yeah, but I really enjoy it. When I'm looking at other types of work, because this is a volunteer job <laughs> that I love, it would definitely be something taking the skills that I've learned. And I really am blowing up in my popularity with bike education. <laughs> but I really see train the trainer, empowering others is still the key. This is my standard last question. So it's a fun question because we've talked about some 
big things here. If you could design a perfect day in Altadena from breakfast to late night, what would you do, where would you go, and what would you eat and drink? <laughs> also a big question. That is a big question. So what's your, uh, your favorite places to go? What would you, I assume it would be a, you'd involve a, a bike ride. Somewhere. Maybe, yeah. Because you rode here, and I think it's important to note that you rode here, this yeah. conversation, well, on lazy. your Brompton. Yeah, I rode instead of walked. <laughs> I drove. I, I'm guilty. I drove. I, I'm up the hill already. <laughs> so let's see. So morning, I love going out for breakfast. So a morning hike with the dogs, followed by breakfast. Although my husband, he likes to eat breakfast first, so we'd probably go to breakfast and then go on a hike. I love sunrises, but I'm more of a night person. Yeah. I used to be a sunrise person. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not. Yeah. Where so would I would love go? to go on a hike. Where would you go for breakfast? Breakfast is relative. We have a lot of new places to eat breakfast at. And I love the Little Red Hen. So I'd mm -hmm. like to go back there again. I do love Russell's in Pasadena. I have to say that's one of our favorite places down the hill. So... Fox's is also a place that would be a really great breakfast choice. And I don't know if I'm missing anybody. We have a lot of pizza places. You do. <laughs> so, and you and have coffee. And a, a new one coming in. There's a new pizza place. Yeah. That's going in where the bakery used to be. On, yeah, yeah. Um, not New York. Allen. Yeah, Allen and whatever that is. New York and Allen. New York and Allen. So then I would, so we do that. And then if we ate breakfast, if we didn't walk the dogs, then we'd probably pass out. But ultimately, that would be ideal, getting some good breakfast. And then there's always something fun going on here in Altadena, if you know about it. <laughs> so you have to just check social media, see what's going on. And we have some really great concerts that can happen either through the library and or the parks, our parks here. And, and then lunch. I don't know. Lunch is on the go. Like usually we don't go out to lunch. Yeah. We go out to breakfast. And then dinner. So going on a bike ride in the Seco mountain bike, since going uphill is challenging for me since I don't go uphill as much anymore, or I have my e-bike, it'd be fun to go up the Arroyo towards the Brown Dam. Have you been up there? Yeah. Then it's a little, although now it's been washed away, so <laughs> we have to kind of see what's there and that's the great thing about there is consistency but there's always change so it's fun and the time of the year also would determine where you go hiking i love hiking i love i love the millard canyon between canyon crests to millard canyon that's just you just get swallowed up in beautiful oak groves and the millard creek but we do go up the Arroyo a lot, the Gabrielino. It's just easy, and you can see beautiful water flowing. So being by water here in the mountains is really awesome. I do love Zane Gray Trail. Have you gone up there? It doesn't get a lot of people, not in a while, although don't. I'm mentioning it now. But it's a really great one. It's not. It's rolling, and you get really great views. And you can bail out and take the street back, or you can take it all the way to Eden Canyon. But my favorite spot is heading towards, going up Zane Gray, and then seeing this at sunrise, or when the light's not totally sh straight up, because when we hit sunset, that is the golden hour in Altadena. And if you see it from below, like Hahamangna is definitely, my heart and soul is there. 
So an evening watching the mountains change color is powerful and seeing the light through the trees. And right now we have water. Right. <laughs> Again, <clears throat> Tim Brick taught me about the importance of water and, and how important it is. And just seeing the wildlife. So I think for me, oddly enough, I would probably spend it in Hahamangna in the evening because it's just the best. If you're in the mountains, you don't really see the beauty <laughs> of the <laughs> reflection. Yeah, finishing in Hahamangna. And then I'm not much of a night person and going out anymore. But if there's a concert or something... I'm low-key. Tonight, I'm going to a film screening. Very nice. What are you seeing? Yes. I'm seeing Biking While Black. Oh, okay. And my friend Yolanda I've Overstreet is the director of the film, and she started hers with the Go Human project. So anyway, there's always something fun to do between Altadena and Pasadena, and our connection is real, even though I don't know if we realize how real our connection is and our potential to grow our connection in Altadena, Pasadena. Because for me on my bicycle, <laughs> I cannot leave. Any Altadenan has to go through Pasadena to get wherever they're going. That's true. And the more we can embrace our connection, that would be awesome. That would be. Dorothy, thank you so much for leading with your heart. It's wonderful to hear your passion and for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to all my crazy stories. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Long way. <laughs> my many thanks to Dorothy for coming on the show. You can't have a conversation with Dorothy and not come away feeling like you've left a better person. You can hear the passion in her voice and feel how deeply she cares. At one point, her glasses fogged up from tears. It is a reflection of her values and her desire to make every street safe. Dorothy rolled up on her Brompton fold-up bike, and while we walked to find a bench for our recording, we saw a grandmother and grandson on their way to the park. Dorothy instantly made a connection, all the while pointing out pending area projects and countless opportunities for improvements. Yay! Isaac, do you know where the park is now? Where's the park? Oh, oh good job. <laughs> Have a so good day. Yeah. So the, the line put in here was part of the poster of the project where there's no traffic calming at the crosswalk. And there were all the park cars there. And then the residents were like, and then it was she is always envisioning what could be, and this makes her an especially important advocate. I hope that she does decide to continue her service on the town council, because we need more officials like Dorothy. People that want to be effective. People that want to make a positive impact. For more information and to follow Dorothy on Instagram, she is at councilmember.dotwong or at the best handle ever, at wongwongwei. You can also visit SoCalCross.org, where Dorothy has been a director and series director since the mid-2000s. Continuing our collaboration, the featured song is All Right Here, by the passing of based wife and husband duo, The Next Doors. 
All right here is from Mika and Russell's debut album, Linda Vista, which was released last year. Please follow them on social media and at nextdoorsmusic.com for their next live shows. There are so many people that help keep this show going. First, I want to thank my Patreon sponsors. I really appreciate your continued support. Second, to my family for all their love to keep this project alive. And finally, to all that listen, thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show or supporting it through direct sponsorship or Patreon. This is the only podcast that has never been supported by a mattress company, Athletic Greens, a meal kit, or some other crazy sponsor. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, ride your bike, and as always, see you around town. Start over. Start over. Okay. Do you like podcasts? No. Why don't you like podcasts? Because they are boring. Okay.